Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I believe in evil. And the accepted worldview of our time is that we evolved from natural processes. The world believes the concepts of right and wrong and good and evil are, are simply the outdated expressions of, of previous civilizations. That there is no real right and wrong. Uh, there is no real spiritual realm. And I reject that. I believe that evil is real, and I stand with Paul here on that. And why on, why on earth, I guess, would we talk about evil? It's important to prove and remind ourselves that the Bible is not just a book of fairy tales. The Bible, is, it, it, the Bible speaks about realities that were true when this book, this book that I have in front of me, was written and, and, and remain today. And these things remain true today. And beyond that, we need to know that when we talk about evil, it is not just some kind of reality that exists out there in a place that doesn't affect us. That other people may do evil and that there may be evil in other parts of the world. Evil is quite close to home. And we need to talk about evil because we cannot grasp the victory of Jesus over Satan, if we don't believe Satan is real and the work he does is real. There's nothing that we can grasp about the work of Jesus if, if we don't understand that Jesus' work was done to undo the works of the devil. And most importantly, we need to understand the nature of the battle that we as Christians fight today. We as Christians fight a battle that is not against flesh and blood. It's not about people. It's not about things that happen in this world. It is fundamentally a battle against evil. Here in, in verse 12 again, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we need to know what that means and how we can fight. So first, I believe evil is universal. In Genesis chapter 3, we just read, evil is a universal idea. People are all over the world in every culture acknowledge, they acknowledge evil. But let's see from the perspective, from the biblical perspective, what I mean by that here in, in Genesis chapter 3. He says, starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the serpent, he tells the truth here that as Adam and Eve eat of the tree that we, we know actually is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. They now have knowledge of good and evil. In verse 5 again, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Sorry. The, uh, uh, that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, now they know good and evil, and the first thing that they do is they begin to clothe themselves because they realize they're naked. And the next thing they do is that when God uh, comes to them, they hide because they know that they have done something something evil. And, and from this point forward, something amazing happens. Every human being lives life with a moral, a moral dimension. Suddenly, every choice that we make is not just about asking, uh, do I want to do that or do I like that? The choice becomes, should I do that? The shouldness of our decisions proves that there is a good and an evil. We weigh each choice based on whether it is right or whether it is wrong. And that makes us different from animals. There's no sense in, the, in animals of a should. Uh, there is a, is, there's no sense of guilt. Um, I saw that I was sitting out on the front porch and my cat caught a bird and tortured it for 30 minutes in front of me. That's how animals are. And, and so there's no sense of, of should I have done that and tortured that animal. There's no sense of guilt. Those are things that maybe we, we project upon animals in a Disney-like way as reflections of our own, our own human nature. But the truth is good and evil are uniquely human among the created beings here on earth. And that began here in the garden. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, things just got worse. Uh, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God decides in that moment to destroy the world with water, and he does. But, but can't we say that the idea that the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually describes, it describes every era of man since? This is the story of the human race. And, and we don't have to be taught to have evil thoughts. This is something that man naturally seems to gravitate towards. It is a universal all over the world in every time and culture it is an awareness and, a, and, and even an affinity for evil. And don't we do, today, don't we do things even today that are hurtful? Uh, don't we lie to people and abuse and steal? Don't we f disenfranchise and don't we do grave injustices to one another? And, and when, I say, when I say we, I, I don't just mean other people. I mean, don't I? 
Isn't that still a reality of human behavior? Um, this is the story of humanity, and it is a universal story. So we develop our we develop our governments to supposedly help, and part of the government's job is to stop or limit the impact of evil so that we can't do too much evil to one another, or that those who do grievous amounts of evil are put away so that they can no longer do that to one another. And sometimes even armies are gathered to prevent the spread of evil because there are things that simply should not be done. And and while evil is universal, that doesn't mean that everybody agrees on what is evil. But there is a universal awareness that there are some things that should not be done, no matter who you are. Uh, And that moral dimension is what I mean when I I say evil is real and it's real for everyone. It's the reason why people who don't have faith in God or even believe that there is a God, that when they raise their children, that they raise their children with the idea that there are things you should do and things you shouldn't do. They want their children to know what is right and wrong. They, th- this is what is good and this is what is evil. So listen to how Joshua describes it in, in, in chapter 24, verse 15. He says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice the, the construction at the beginning, in the beginning of this verse here. If it seems evil to you, or in your eyes to serve the Lord. And that is a very common construction in the Hebrew where evil is it's kind of modified in the side of or, or in the eyes of. And it feels like we're headed toward, kind of feels like we're headed toward moral relativity, doesn't it? And, and moral relativity is when you think certain things are evil and I think certain things are evil. And we need to be careful with that because that's not where that's going. The idea is each one of us has a moral compass. Each one of us has a moral computing system. And Joshua says, if it seems evil to serve Jehovah God, then then serve that guy. But serve somebody and choose today who you're going to serve. But it's not just about my evil and about your evil. Uh, Examples here, Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Judges chapter 3, verse 7, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 12 in chapter 3, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil in the sight of the Lord is real evil. You and I, we have our own moral computing system, but that's really just an echo of the real right and wrong. Evil in the sight of the Lord is, is what is is truly evil. And when the people do evil in the sight of the Lord, things fall to pieces. They are guilty. And then the Lord brings disaster upon them. We all have this moral system. But what the Bible is teaching us is that system is a reflection of the truth that God's sight is the sight that truly determines what is good and what is evil. Next, I I believe in evil because evil is destructive. There is a force in this world and it is not good. First Peter 
chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. An adversary prowls around seeking people to devour, to destroy, and to harm. To That is what evil does, and that is what Satan does as the leader of the realm of evil. When you read about demon possession in the New Testament, that is what Satan does there. Evil is not neutral. It is actively destructive, and it works to harm. Uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching about Jesus. And in verse 38, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, all who were oppressed by the devil. It is Jesus who looks at the people and feels compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They are victims of evil, maybe their own evil, maybe the evil of others, but they need to be released and freed and healed from the destructive effects of evil. Uh, Let's say that you are not sure about what all the Bible says about evil. Why, Why is that? Why is it that no matter what we do as humans, societies are always corrupt. Governments are always corrupt. There is always injustice. There are always problems. Always. And how can that be? Why is it that we make decisions that we shouldn't make? Why is it that we get wrapped up in addictions that are detrimental to us and that we can't get out of? Because that is the nature of evil. And that's what it does. When Jesus talks about evil, he says, he says whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And there's clear teaching in the Bible that that evil is not a static force. I think our kids were learning about static something this week in, in school. It's not a static force. It is, a, it is an actively destructive force. If we look honestly at the world, we see that evil tends to break into our homes. It breaks into our schools. It breaks into our families. It breaks into our hearts. It breaks into our churches. Evil always works to destroy So thirdly, evil is permanent. Evil is not something that just goes away with time. And when I do things that are evil, they don't fade. They continue and they stay with us. In a sense, they are are eternal things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon describes the the end of his whole search for the meaning of life. Starting in verse 13, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There will be a time when all our deeds are called to account, brought forward. So why do things stick with us? Things that we, things that we do that we believe are wrong. Why do we, why do we feel so much guilt? Solomon, he he mentions every secret thing. These things stick with us, don't they? We feel bad about them, don't we? They haunt us. And I'm not just talking about Bible believers. I'm not just talking about Christians. This is a people problem. We know this because because people go to counseling. We need to confess about these things. We have to talk to somebody about it. We have to try to get over it because we know what we've done is evil and it won't leave us alone. And we try these remedies because... 
we know that deep down evil is permanent. It is notable because we as humans, we tend, we tend toward forgetfulness all the time. I forget where my keys are. We, we forget almost everything, including the things that we should remember, right? Sometimes we set ourselves memorials where we, we set ourselves reminders to try to remember the things that we, that we think are truly important. Um, and we struggle with that. But we don't have to worry about forgetting the evil things we do. Those are burned deep into our minds. Often we, we have the hardest time even letting go of some of those things. And we are haunted by the memories of the evil that we've done. And doesn't that teach us something? It teaches us that evil is real because evil is permanent. But the good news, the good news about evil is that evil can be conquered. Thanks to the work of Jesus and the good news of the gospel, we do not have to be victims of evil. Even though it is everywhere and it is destructive and it is permanent, he has set us free from sin. Don't you see how this makes the work of Jesus make so much more sense? There's a force that is evil and destructive and permanent, and it has us in, in its grip. And now Jesus coming is good news because evil can be conquered. Genesis chapter 4, God is speaking to Cain here. In verse 7, he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God here is involving Cain in the battle against evil. You must rule over it, but sin is crouching at the door. It is ready to take over. It is ready to come in. You must fight. And Cain, of course, struggles with that. But evil can be conquered. James, he talks about how we fight against and conquer sin. In, in chapter 4, starting in verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice how this text switches. It switches everything around from what we would expect. Notice how when we, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. When we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. When we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. When we cleanse our hands and turn our joy to mourning, he will give us joy. We, we see how these things change because we resist Satan. Evil can be conquered. We don't have to be victims of evil, but we must resist. We cannot simply continue to live and hope to overcome evil. And what's particularly shocking about evil is that it is so close to home. Sometimes we think the battle is, is way out there, and we read about awful things, ha the awful things happening in the world. We read about awful things people are doing and saying to one another, and we need to remember evil isn't that far away. Back in chapter 1 of, verse, uh, of James, starting in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life 
which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death, brings forth death. Sin comes from within me. Verse 14 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. That's where sin originates. It is not an out there problem. It it is an in here problem. If I'm going to fight sin, it is about deciding in my own heart and in my own life that I'm going to resist the devil and draw near to God. That's how evil can be conquered. But we, do need, but we do need God's help. Evil can be conquered because Jesus has achieved victory over evil in the cross. And he invites us to share in that victory. Um, Colossians chapter 2 describes that a little bit. Starting in verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Triumph, disarming and open shame. Jesus won. He beat evil. He, he lived a life free from sin and he died to set us free from sin so that we don't have to live with something that's universal and destructive and permanent, being a part of our life and staining our soul and condemning us. Evil can be conquered because Jesus conquered evil, and now we can be free from that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He has set us free. We're not slaves anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. We are free because Jesus has conquered and he gives us the victory. But thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory in that context is victory over sin and death. No longer does death have the sting it had because Jesus has defeated evil. So back to where we started, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verse 12 again. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We fight and wrestle because evil is all around us. And we need to understand that it is a spiritual battle. It is a battle that will not end just because somebody is elected. It it will not end just because we achieve justice. It, It will not end just because there's an argument and one group wins over the other. It is a battle that does not end just because someone gets baptized or because the truth is preached or because a local church thrives. It is a battle that does not end because the battle is not physical. 
It's a battle against evil. It's a battle against spirits. If we're going to conquer evil, we need spiritual tools and spiritual strength to do it. We need to be aware of the battle that we're truly fighting. Continuing chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth that allows us to cut through the lies, cut through the deceit that we hear all around us. It helps us to see through temptation. That helps us do battle with spiritual forces that thrive on lies. Continuing in verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we learn that there is a right way to live and and that it is our deepest and dearest desire to live right before God. Our righteousness comes from Christ, a righteousness we learn and gain from him. We take it because we need commitment. We need a commitment to right living. Uh, Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, we must be prepared and ready to do battle with the world. We cannot be caught unawares as we go to our workplace, as we turn on the television, as we go talk to someone on the phone, as we go out to eat. We cannot be unaware that there is a spiritual battle that is constantly taking place and that at any moment I may be called to live according to the gospel of peace to which I am committed. I won't be caught off guard and I will be ready to follow the gospel. Verse uh, 16, continuing, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith says, I trust my God no matter what I may hear. No matter what People may throw at me. My God is true. His word is true. And every assault people may may make, I can resist because I trust him. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, a remembrance and awareness that Christ died to set us free and save us from our sins. Continuing in verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to be ready to use what we know, not just to win a Bible trivia contest, but to talk to people about the truth of God in pivotal situations. There is a war going on, and we need to be ready with God's word. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We need God's help to defeat evil, but there's, there's a battle going on. It's all around us, and we need God's equipment And we need God's strength and we need the victory he has achieved in Christ if we're going to overcome it. I believe in evil, but I praise God that evil can be conquered. I can't do it on my own. I believe in evil because evil is universal. It is destructive. And I believe evil is permanent. But praise God, evil can be conquered. In Buddhism, there, the idea is that there is suffering and there is trouble in this life, but the suffering doesn't come from evil. Buddhism would deny the very idea of evil. It, it, it comes because we're trying to seek value from something that's not permanent. We want permanence from impermanent things is what Buddhism would say. But the fact is, there is a problem in the world around me and the solution is not in me. I can't think my way out of the problem. We need help. 
we we need deliverance. We need a savior. And that is something that sadly Buddhism can't provide. We need someone to deliver us, to give us the victory, to help us conquer evil. And we can only do this through Jesus Christ, our deliverer. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.